Hello and welcome to Nerd Vomit. My name is Doug. I'm a nerd and this is my vomit. This may or may not get heard as I'm waiting for Troy to text me back to see if we're going to record, well, this episode of Nerd Vomit. Uh, otherwise, if he sleeps in like he did last week, then you get to hear my nerd vomit. So let's get right into the vomitorium. Like I said, I am watching things in slightly alphabetical order. So, of course, the first thing is Batman. Batman Hush, the newest uh, DC animated feature. This is one of my favorite storylines from the Batman mythology. I love Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. And basically Jeff Loeb said, who do you want to draw? And Jim Lee said, everybody. So Jeff Loeb wrote this incredibly sweeping, uh, I believe 12 issue uh, storyline that involves Poison Ivy, Superman, uh Killer Croc, Harley Quinn, the Joker, a new character named Hush, Riddler, Rachel Ghoul, the League of Assassins, Nightwing, Robin, Batman, Catwoman. I mean, it's just uh, uh, Tim, Dr uh, not Tim Drake, uh, Jason Todd. Like, they just, it was this fantastic stew of characters. Now, for the most part, it is closely adapted. The only thing they changed was the identity of Hush. I liked it. In that, when they changed the identity of Hush, the 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 whole thing in the comics was that like they introduced a new guy, Tommy Elliot, who is Hush and has since gone on to change his face to look like Bruce Wayne. And there's a whole thing there. Um, the the follow up storylines, including uh, featuring Hush, are not as great as the original Jeff Loeb run. But in the animated series, they reveal that it's um, a Lazarus pit um enhanced riddler uh and yeah for the most part that is what happens in the hush storyline from the comics uh riddler uses a lazarus pit to recover from inoperable brain cancer realizes bruce wayne is batman and is kind of the secret mastermind behind hush as tommy elliott wants revenge on bruce wayne himself uh for reasons and yeah anyway um the fact that they kind of had Hush be Riddler was, it was one of those, like, I, I didn't see it coming because I expected it to still be Tommy Elliot, but the fact that they introduced Tommy Elliot, kill him, and as opposed to faking his death from the comics, uh, and actually kill him, and then have the Riddler be Hush, I thought was disappointing. Um, I thought it was more paint by numbers, I thought it was lazy, um, I think that, you know, Hush is an incredible character, uh, who's, you know, really been untapped. Uh, in certain ways, but to kind of have kind of the, like, 180 reveal on Hush's identity was, I thought, a little lame, um, but otherwise, I mean, I love that Catwoman gets uh, to know Batman's secret identity, and they consummate their relationship, and, you know, Robin and Nightwing are like, he did it, and like, welcome to the family, and it did have Superman and Poison Ivy, and they replaced Killer Croc with Bane, which I thought was a nice touch, since he's become such a popular character uh, since the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, do I recommend watching it? Yes. Am I going to save it in my library? No. Um, I watched it, I got what I wanted out of it, uh, and that's just the end-all be-all of Batman Hush. But I do recommend watching it. It is a fun uh Watch the art is uh, rendered amazingly. Uh, Jim Lee is an incredibly gifted artist, and for them to adapt his uh, art uh, style as well is is something. Bioshock start it says. So I started playing Bioshock uh, after playing Borderlands for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, 
and I didn't want to get into another like huge open world uh, game, and so I started playing uh, two different games. I realized I wrote this backwards. Uh, I, I had talked about playing Trover Saves the Universe, played it, beat it, love it. It's an eight-hour game with 20 hours of dialogue. If you like Rick and Morty, check it out. Um, I can't recommend it enough. It's just hilarious. Um, but after beating Trover, which was, like I said, like an eight-hour game, I was in and out of it, really. Um, I didn't want to get into another big open-world game, so I started playing Bioshock. I like it. I like the story. I like the characters. Um, the mechanics are a little slow, based on that I believe it was for, like, PlayStation 2, possibly 3. Um, I did pick up the bundle, so I've got Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite. Uh, and I, I started playing it, and I was like, okay, like, this is cool. But like I said, the, the controls are a little slow, um, coming off of games made for the PlayStation 4. So, you know, I got about maybe a, th maybe a third of the storyline. I'm supposed to go save trees or something. Uh, and I just was kind of like, um, yeah, this is cool and all, but I think I'm ready for a, like, a, a, another big game. So I picked up, well, I didn't pick up, I got it when it got released, and I haven't played it until now, which is, like, months later. But I finally started playing Days Gone. Holy shit. Um, if you love The Last of Us, you will love Days Gone. It's running around, it's getting scrap, it's um, crafting, you know, med kits, uh, it's awesome zombies that are fast and smart. The AI on um, the NPCs and enemies are fantastic. Um, I love the added kind of tweak on that, like you have a motorcycle that you drive around on and you actually have to keep gas in it, you have to keep it maintained because it is your lifeline if you have to run. And sometimes the best, you know, offense is cowardly uh, retreating. So I, I think this is a fantastic game. Once again, it's not one of those where I'm kind of kicking myself and going, oh, why didn't I start playing this the first day it came out? Um, I wasn't ready for it. And I know Last of Us, I wasn't ready for it either. Um, I had been playing all of the Uncharted's. And when I started playing Last of Us, I was like, nah, same game mechanics, different characters. I'm bored. Uh, so I ended up spending months playing something else, went back to Last of Us, loved it. Um, and Days Gone is very kind of that nostalgia quake from Last of Us, but with um, a more open world. Um, I can't even tell when I'm on side missions at this point. Like the side missions and the storylines, and there are multiple storylines, weave in and out of each other. So really, I'm just running around doing stuff with like no compuncture about like, am I, you know, doing a side mission? Am I going to do all the side missions like I did in Borderlands? Uh, whereas the storyline, I just unlocked another like side mission. I think that I have to go back to a different camp. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, I can't tell where each mission begins and ends. And I really like that because I can just play it and I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I just suddenly go, Hey, you completed this thing. And I go, Oh shit, I did. Huh? Well, looks like I got that done. But I mean, it's just the, the branches that you can go, uh, towards or, you know, the rabbit hole you can fall into playing days gone is fantastic. I've even probably scratched the surface. Um, I just discovered the second camp. I think I've only got like three Nero sites cleared out. Um, and like I said, like fighting the freakers, which are like what they call the zombies. Fantastic. They're semi-intelligent. Um, day and night affect their uh, numbers and strength. Obviously fighting humans is, you know, a lot more difficult. But uh, there's like this like side story about these people called Rippers that like scar themselves. I don't even touch much of that storyline. I've only cleared out one of their camps. 
But yeah, Days Gone. Uh, I, I foresee myself playing this all the way until the middle of September when Borderlands 3 comes out, and then everything comes to a grinding halt as I just dive headfirst into Borderlands 3. But, diving headfirst, I've been watching a bunch of stuff, too, as I took my break from uh, Bioshock. I've been watching Amazon's The Boys, and I think I talked about kind of the first half of the season. Now that I've completed it uh, last week, I think it's almost a perfect show. It's smart, it's funny, it's violent, it's got... Some people said it had nothing to say. I think it talks a great deal about superhero fatigue um, in pop culture right now. I think it's a, a, a unique take, and like I said, I had read the graphic novels by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, and uh, I'm just floored by, by the boys. Um, Laser Babies, Gill Rape, a, a twist right at the end that basically changes, basically swaps one character's motivation for another, um, kind of the big bad Homelander and his, uh, our, our quote-unquote protagonist, Butcher, they have their motivation swapped right at the end. And we're probably going to get more into the boys if I see uh, Troy, which means you wouldn't even hear this, which means I wouldn't have even had to say that. So that was kind of a weird wait. I will say, I was looking at the art of it, um, just because I've been, like, you know, uh, rediscovering the boys, and I realized that the, the first issue cover is them, like, looking down, and I know that's, like, to give them a sense of authority, and that they're, like, watching the soups, the, the superheroes, to make sure they don't step in lines, um, and I realized that Warren Ellis had written um, these huge kind of widescreen comics called The Authority with Brian Hitch. Once again, highly recommend anything Warren Ellis does, read The Authority. And I realized that The Authority, a lot of their covers are them, like, going up. They're above us, and they're watching us that way, but by rising as opposed to standing and looking down on us. And I went, the boys are the opposite of The Authority. What an interesting, like, you know, visual dynamic I never really realized. And, of course, Garth Ennis and Warren Ellis are friends, and I don't know about Derek Robertson, uh, well, I know Derek Robertson and Warren Ellis are friends because they worked on Transmetropolitan together. Um, I don't know if Garth Ennis and Brian Hitch have ever worked together. Now that I think about it, God, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you they, they really are two sides of the same coin, uh, I realized, from the source material. And the boys kept very close to the source material, except for a few things. Like I said, that twist at the end, and then um, the, the female having... Uh, being um, a soup, having, like, healing powers. Um, that's not in the comics. Um, but other than that, like, the boys, fantastic. Cannot rave about it enough. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, once again, like, once again, this is all kind of alphabetical. Uh, Archer. I finally finished the new season of Archer. Uh, the finale is called Robert De Niro, and I thought that was kind of a weird thing until I can't fucking believe I missed this. That, of course, Robert De Niro is a coma patient who wakes up in Awakenings. So guess what happens at the end of the Archer 1999 season? Archer finally wakes up from his coma. They actually say it's been three years, which is insane because it's been three seasons since he got shot and fell into a coma, and this has all been in his brain. All of the dream time, all of the Danger Island awfulness, uh, and then 1999, which I will say, of the three kind of comatose dream seasons, 1999 was easily the strongest, uh, was easily the funniest, and I, I, it was worth, 
uh, slogging through the Danger Island season to get to Urchin 1999. Just as funny, uh, way more inventive. I love the like kind of sci-fi genre and, of course, all the anachronisms from the fact that it's set in the far-flung future of 1999, but we're watching it in 2019. Uh, I thought it was just hilarious. So I'm interested to see what happens uh, next season on Archer, because I know it's been renewed for, I think it's got one, if not two more seasons left, but Adam Reed, the creator and um, one of the main writers on it, uh, has talked about leaving. Um, I, I think he's done one of those where it's like, it's been ten seasons, I've said what I've had to say, and we'll see what happens. Um, I don't want him to leave, I want that kind of, uh, like, almost sole voice for Archer, because I think... When you have too many cooks in the kitchen, especially with a show like Archer, you can really lose a character's voice, um, any of the characters. So I, I'd like Adam Reed to stay on, but then again, he's not answering my emails. So, But I wish him well, and I wish Archer well as well. I've now ruined the magic of the word well. Ooh, speaking of wells, what a great segue, Doug. Uh, the iZombie finale. So happy endings all around. Uh, Peyton and Ravi get married eventually, and uh, Liv and uh, Major get kind of their happy ending on Zombie Island, and uh, the, the zombies, are, you know, some of the zombies, all the zombies get cured, and all the humans are fine, and Blaine and Don E get chucked into a well to spend all of eternity being feral zombies at the bottom of a well and tortured by basically themselves, which I think is fan-bloody-tastic. I don't think anything could have... I mean, I, I don't... That ending was awesome. Now, a happy ending in iZombie, it was all right, and it ends on kind of a... I wouldn't say cliffhanger necessarily, but when the, you know, five or four protagonists meet at the very end in virtual reality, yeah, that happens. You know, they talk about how they don't see each other and how Liv and, you know, Major obviously haven't aged and uh, Liv says, you know, we can all stay together forever. All it takes is a scratch. And smiles. And you're like, are they going to eventually become all zombies and retire on Zombie Island? Well, we'll never know, because that was the series finale. But uh, the ending gets wrapped up clean enough. Um, was it too clean? I think so. I think we could have had some more major deaths. Not major himself, though I do like his, his story arc across the last couple seasons. He's really kind of come into his own as opposed to being this like kind of brawny, you know, you know, like muscly guy with a big heart, but kind of milk toast and kind of kept in the dark. Um, I like that he's kind of come into his own with Fillmore Graves and being the commander and kind of becoming a, a, a well-rounded character. So am I going to miss all of Liv's weird, like, you know, brain visions and personalities. Absolutely, I think that uh, Rose, whatever her name is, unfortunately I can't think of her name off the top of my head, uh, Rose McIver, there we go. I think she had just as hard of a job as, um, oh my God, Tatiana Maslany in Orphan Black, where, you know, Tatiana Maslany had to play, like, different clones um, with different personalities, and it was fantastic, and I can't ever rave enough about Orphan Black. But that Rose McIver on on iZombie, playing Liv Moore, uh, had probably like all these different characters, but like as her. So she was like the bitchy drag queen, or the perfectionist cook, or a 
gang member or I'm trying to think of, oh the oh the one where she eats the old racist guy's brain and she says that Clive the black guy's like one of the good ones and it's really uncomfortable. God, that was so fucking funny. Um or the Dominatrix brain, that was great. I mean it's just she did a fantastic job and I'm gonna miss her kind of reinterpreting all these different personalities as her. Speaking of things uh, ending, and I'm not saying it's the last season by no means, but I did finish Stranger Things 3. Finished it in about three days, actually, so I, I managed to slam through that one. Really, my big two takeaways from Stranger Things Season 3 is Hooper dead? Or, I'm sorry, Hopper dead? I don't know. Uh, at the very end, they're feeding a demigorgon in Russia, and they go, not the American. Who's the American? Probably Jim Hopper. But we don't know that. Um... I think if he died, it was fantastically done because it was very Joss Whedon where he and an underwriter make plans and then she has to like turn the machine off and explode it uh, while he's standing there stuck. I think it'd be a fantastic end to uh, Hopper if that's the way it goes. But then again, his Hellboy didn't really uh, rake in a lot of money at the box office, so maybe he's rethinking that film career. The other... Big takeaway from Stranger Things 3, which at this point, you know, has done three seasons. And I'm, I'm seeing the Matrix on it, where it's like, well, Byers feels weird. Oh no, here comes the Upside Down leaking into our world. Eleven moves things with our mind. And then, cliffhanger with another creature. That's it. That's every fucking season. I'm kind of getting sick of it. Am I going to watch the fourth season? Yeah. Is it going to be begrudgingly? Yeah. Um, just to see if they do something different or change up the, the formula. I mean, yeah, it works, but how many times... It's like with Arrow. It's like, how many times can Star City be in peril every year? It, it gets ridiculous. Let's see. One last thing. Uh, I know I've been kind of vomiting for a, a lot this episode. Uh, Preacher is back. And it's the last season of Preacher, and based on the opening credits, they're cramming every fucking storyline they've got left into this one season. This season starts with the Masada storyline, where the Grail has kidnapped Cassidy, and Jesse and Tulip have to go rescue him. Uh, it's got, it, it's already uh, started to infer the uh, world's end, no, till the world ends, whatever that one is, where they um, nuke Monument Valley, but now it looks like it's a, 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 a spire, a rock spire that looks like a dick in um, Australia. And during the opening credits, you do see Jesse with an eye patch, which implies, to some extent, the Salvation storyline, which is one of my favorite storylines in comics, period. If you ever, if you pick up Preacher, and it, obviously I recommend starting from the beginning, but if you just want to read this fantastic storyline, um, Salvation is the name of the trade paperback, and it is one of my favorites. Um, it's got a man fucking a meat doll, it's got the KKK members, it's got Jesse really coming into his own and trying not to use the voice. It's him figuring out what's going on in his world, and he just kind of shifts down a gear and becomes a sheriff. It's fantastic. Um, it's got a German expatriate. Uh, it's, it's, to me, it's got everything. Um... And, oh, and, and his mother comes back in a fantastic way that I didn't even see coming uh, in the comics. I was just like, oh my god, it's his mom. This is awesome. It's a fantastic storyline. We'll see what Preacher does. Like I said, it's got a lot to live up to in one season. And I will say the dinosaur eating his own poop scene was 
weird. Uh, I think completely out of tone for Preacher. Uh, and, and, you know, I like Seth Rogen. I like Evan Goldberg. Um, they also, you know, worked on The Boys, which is a fantastic show, like I've already said. But that dinosaur eating his own poop scene in Preacher was very... It took me right out of the episode. It was strange, and I don't know... I kind of want to know what was going on in the writer's room when that got pitched, because it's not on brand at all. Though it does explain what happened to the dinosaurs. God got mad, and just, you know, that was their test, and the dinosaur ate his poop, and uh, his own poop, and failed. And then meteors. So, on that note of, you know, killing dinosaurs for eating their own excrement, uh, I'm gonna go, uh, I'm Doug, I'm a nerd, vomit, nerd vomit, and I'm out. Like a boner in sweatpants. If you like this, check out some of our other shows like Exotic Liability, No Applause, Just the Clap, and Black Falls. We can be found at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for The BACN on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Oh, yeah.